Jesus, right now we're going to come to your word. Father, I pray right across this room that each of us would be able to take something from what's going to be spoken. That, Lord, it would help us, that it would strengthen us. For some of us, it would give us fresh hope and courage in the difficulties that we face. I pray, Lord, that you would be a pastor in this place this morning. You're a good shepherd, Jesus. You're the chief shepherd. And Lord, I pray that you would be the pastor in this place this morning to your people. You heal the wounded, Jesus, with a word. You bring hope and help. You'd be a shepherd among us. In Jesus' name we ask it. We thank you. We agree with your word, Lord. The word impossible is not ever in your vocabulary. The word impossible is never even referred to in relation to what you can do and what can be done in our lives. We stand in your presence in awe of you, thanking you that one word from you changes everything. One word from you makes all the difference. We may have made our decisions. We may have made our plans. But the future is in the Lord's hands. And Lord, we thank you that the future that you have for each one of us is far greater than any plan or idea that we could ever conceive. We thank you, Jesus, right now, as we come to your word, that you would just minister it to every need, to every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let's show our appreciation for the musicians we have. I tell you now, they serve us so wonderfully every week. They really do. Well, I had a great chat with Pastor Ray yesterday. He was on the blower. And I'm telling you now, do you know what? Any time that um, I speak to Pastor Ray, you always get fired up. You really do. And um, it's just great to have a father in the faith that is really concerned for my life, but also for the future of this church. Isn't that great? Isn't it great, you know, that we're not just left to our own devices, but there are people, servants of God, in our lives that, you know, yes, they have a wider calling to the world, a wider calling to places that we may never go to, but they go to on our, on our behalf like Pastor Ray does. But I tell you now, Pastor Ray's heart is always in this home. It really is. And, um, oh man, I tell you, not only do you get fired up when you chat to Pastor Ray, you end up in absolute hysterics, right? Because um, he said, hey, he said, so he said, you're teaching on Joseph, are you? I said, yes, Pastor Ray. He said, now, you've done the colors on the coat, haven't you? I said, yes. He said, what are you doing tomorrow? The buttons and the stitching? So I'm telling you, I found that funny. I couldn't write the buttons. I said, yes, Pastor. I said, I am going to talk about the buttons on Joseph's coat tomorrow. And somehow, God's going to bless his people. So we were, I mean, it was just absolute fun and joy. Whenever you speak to him, that's, that's what happens. But also, um, he's going to be with us in October. Um, in November, he's ministering in Australia to hundreds of pastors, something that just uh, suddenly opened up. And then also, um, uh, possibly, we're going to have him in the first Sunday in December to kick off what we're doing at Christmas. So it's just so exciting. It really is. I just wanted to encourage you with that. Continue to pray for Pastor Ray, you know, as he travels, a lot of traveling, a lot of responsibility, a lot of ministry to people and to churches around the world. So let's keep him in our hearts and let's keep praying for him. And when he's back, encourage him too. Amen. We do that. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Um, this morning, uh, I'm going to 
refer again to a verse of scripture that we began to look at last week from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. We're going to look at it uh, this morning in, in a few moments. We can keep it up on the screen there. Um, but this statement Joseph made to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, it was his attitude to the past. It was his attitude not only to the past, to all of the events that had occurred in his life, but it was his attitude towards his brothers too, who had done terrible things to him. Uh, Joseph had come to a place in his life where he had been able to bring closure on the past. That's a really important place to come to in our Christian lives and just in life in general. If we're ever going to move forward in our lives, if we're ever going to go into the places where God wants us to go into, we have to bring closure on the past events of our lives. And we see Joseph doing this in Genesis chapter 50 in what he says and what he declares to his brothers. Genesis chapter 50, just to give you some background on it, some 20 years has passed since Joseph was taken and thrown in the pit by his brothers. A lot of water had gone under the bridge. Many, many different events had transpired in Joseph's life, uh, ending with, with him being thrown in prison and then being taken out of prison and moving on into the plan that God had shown him as a 17-year-old boy. He goes into Pharaoh's palace and he begins to uh, just interpret Pharaoh's dreams and bring wisdom to them. And then the, the words of Joseph and the interpretation of the dreams come to pass. So he gets to Genesis chapter 50, 20 some years has passed, and his brothers are at a fearful place in this chapter because they can't separate themselves from their actions of the past. They can't separate themselves from what they had done to Joseph those many years before when they'd taken him and thrown him in the pit. Joseph had showed them kindness. Joseph had showed them favor. And yet Jacob had passed away their father. And when their father passed away, they thought that all of the kindness that Joseph had showed them had passed away too. They thought that Joseph was just showing them favor and kindness to keep Jacob happy. But when Jacob passed away, they thought, you know what? Joseph's actually going to turn on us. Joseph now is going to use the power that he has to do us harm. He's going to remember all the things that we did to him. And he's going he's to uh, pay us with, with vengeance. Seeing their fear, Joseph begins to weep. Because he's forgiven them. Seeing where they are in their lives, held by guilt, held by condemnation, held by all of the restrictions of the past, their feet firmly bound in the concrete of guilt, firmly bound in the concrete of past sins that had long gone. Joseph, in seeing this, weeps because he's not where they are. He's moved far, far away from that. The grace and the wonder and the life and the blessing of God in his destiny had moved him so far beyond where they were. They were back some 20 years, but Joseph was far, far away from that, removed from that. God had made him fruitful in the land of his affliction God had blessed him and caused him to forget all of the former things that had transpired. But these men, these brothers, were held back in an incident and in events 20 years that was still as real, still as relevant, and it would not let them go. They were fast 
bound by the past. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how, you know, the past can really take a hold of us. The past doesn't easily let us go. And we may not have done what Joseph's brothers did to him. We may not have tried to take somebody out or take somebody down. Something may have happened to us that, that we didn't, you know, expect. But sometimes the past has a way of haunting us. Sometimes the past has a way of holding on to us. Sometimes the past won't let us go. It fastens itself around us and it's like our feet are cast in concrete. Just like the Holy Spirit spoke to us earlier. Feet are cast in concrete. Joseph does, does something wonderful. He does something incredible. He gets the jackhammer out. The jackhammer of God's grace. The jackhammer of love. The jackhammer of God's mercy. And he goes to work on his brothers with this statement that we find in verse 20 of chapter 50 of Genesis. And he says, boys... What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And in one statement, he breaks the power of the past. In one statement, he shows them his attitude towards everything that they had done. An attitude of forgiveness, an attitude of mercy, an attitude of grace, an attitude of love that would break the hold of condemnation, guilt, and all of the former sins that they had committed. And he sets them free. Do you know sometimes people's freedom doesn't come as a result of God turning up in a meeting and, you know, putting all power and, and goosebumps on people's bodies. Sometimes freedom comes as a result of another brother or a sister visiting their house and saying, do you know what? I forgive you. Do you know what? I'm not going to hold you to what you did to me. Do you know what? I'm going to let you go from what's holding you. And that's what Joseph did in this moment. He set them free by this one statement. And he shows them his attitude to what they did in the past. But also he shows them great maturity in his understanding of God's sovereign purpose for his life. He said, listen, you had your plans in doing what you did. But God had his design for my destiny in doing what he did. And God's goodness triumphed on the back of evil intention. Sometimes some of the things that we've gone through, some of the things that, that we hate to remember, some of the things that we may have did or may have been done to us by others, God will use, God will take up. And those very things that were designed for evil, God will use for good. The fact that you've gone through what you've gone through means that it's valuable. Means that it's, it's not meaningless, but it has use and purpose. And the, what we have to do as people, as believers, is extract the value, extract the good from the bad. It is possible. Joseph was able to do this as he looked at his life. As he looked at all of the complications, as he looked at all of the confusing things, he was able to extract the goodness of God from the evil intentions of his brothers. And he sets them, he sets them free. Do you know, there's only really one of two ways in life. The way of bitterness or the way where we become better. Joseph chose to become better by life. Better by life events. Better by life circumstance. Bettered by all of the incidents that, that seemed so complicated and confusing. He was bettered by it all. When you survey his life, when you look at it. When you don't just pinpoint one particular event, but we have the privilege of looking panoramically at Joseph's life from beginning to end. He didn't know what was going on from one day to the next. But the wonderful thing about the Bible is that we can look panoramically at the whole picture of it. In fact, the Bible says that these things are written for our learning. Everything in the Bible is there for us to learn from. 
The record of people's lives, the testimony uh, as to how they encountered God, as, as to how God came into their trouble and delivered them, as to how God brought them through patiently, through enduring trials and enduring hardship and difficulty. All of these things are written for our learning, for our learning, for our encouragement. We've been looking at Joseph's life. To understand and to see that God is sovereign over every event, over every circumstance, over, over every crisis in life. The message that comes out of Joseph's life that we can receive encouragement from is this. All things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. The sovereignty of God is, is over all of this world. It really is. And whilst it seems that man makes their plans and man makes their decisions and countries rise and fall, behind it all, God's sovereign purpose will prevail. It really will. The Bible says he works all things together after the counsel of his will. Your, your life is not a haphazard, chance, coincidental event. Your life is pre-planned, predetermined by God, and it is moving with purpose after the counsel and the intention of his will. We know his will for us is good. It's great. God telling his people in the Old Testament, and this was under an old covenant, I have great plans for you, great purposes for you, great intentions for you, plans to give you a future, a hope, not plans to do you harm, but plans to bring you into blessing, into everything that I've given and, and spoken to you. We're in a new covenant. A better agreement, a better transaction has taken place as a result of what Jesus Christ has done for each one of us. And I'm telling you now, God's will for your life is wonderful. might not always understand it. You might want to take a right turn when God's will is taking you down a left turn. But I'm telling you, after it all, you will stand and look back like this man did and, and be able to say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the way in which you've led me. I've not always understood it. Sometimes I've been confused by the crisis. Sometimes I have been dismayed. But Lord, in it all, in everything, I've given thanks to you. And Lord, your will has prevailed. Joseph caps off. He caps off everything that's behind him. And everything that's before him in this one statement. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You look, at Joseph, you look at Joseph's brother's lives, and sadly, they had a bitter experience of life. They weren't bettered by life. They were embittered, embittered by life. Life was a bitter experience. They went from one crisis to another crisis, one event to another event, and wrong choices and wrong decisions and a life outside of what God wanted for them. There was all kinds of chaos, pain, and trouble. Bitter, bitter taste in their mouth and in their experience of life. But Joseph sets them free, forgives them, and brings them on into this wonderful provision of future that God had for them. And he says to them, listen, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Don't you realize that God sent me ahead of you to save, to save you, to provide for you? There it is, Genesis 50. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day. To save many people alive. Now therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you. I mean, my God. You talk about maturity and growth and strength and resolve in a character. Not to look at the, the, the faces and, and the characters of his brothers that had done him so much harm in a bitter way. But in a better way, I'm going to provide for you boys. I'm here to save you. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to provide for you. Don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you and your little ones. 
And he, listen, he comforted them. <laughs> he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do you know you can see what's in a person when they're given a position? It's funny how we can change when we're given a position. It's funny how we can change when we're given a title. When we have rights. When we have privileges. But also, whilst it can have a negative impact on a person, it can also have a wonderful, glorious impact on a person when they've been prepared by God, when they've walked the journey and gone through the process, it can have a wonderful, wonderful effect in a person's life. When God promotes, when God gives a position, all of the colors of that man or that woman's character can flourish as it did in Joseph's life. I'm here to save you. I'm here to provide for you and your children. By the way, boys, let me comfort you. Let me comfort you from all of that guilt. That's what grace does. Let me comfort you from all of those condemning voices of the past. Let me comfort you, boys, from all of those images that haunt you. When you, when you took my coat and you, you sprayed it with the blood of the animal and, and, and you lied about me and you ripped it up and you threw me in a pit and you sold me. Let me comfort you, boys. Those days are gone. Those days are over. They're, they're away. Away with those days. I'm going to comfort you. That's what the power of grace does in the human heart. The power, it's not natural. It doesn't, you know grow in us as a result of just being here the grace of Jesus Christ in our heart is such a powerful living force and it's as a result of the Holy Spirit living inside us and before we know it all of the old things that once characterized us is swallowed up in this grace and even the most hostile people that you would struggle to have a conversation with Become the very people that you want to pour your life into. Become the very people that you want to lavish with comfort. Lavish with kindness. It was Jesus who said, love your enemies. And we see it in this man's life. So many years before it was spoken by Jesus. A man who'd become mature, a man that was truly spiritual in every sense. Not a man who just claimed to, you know, have an understanding of, you know, theological things or, you know, big words regarding God. These things were very real and very practical and outworked forcibly in his life, in his day-to-day -day experience. Comfort, comforting his brothers, speaking kind words to them. Amazing what grace can do in our life and in our experiences as people. Now this morning I want to keep with this, with this verse. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And maybe over the next weeks we're going to look at it, I'll see how are we going to unpack it? Next week, we've got Thomas, Pastor Thomas and Katrina from Oslo Church in Norway. Fantastic. It's going to be awesome. So Thomas is going to bring an amazing word to us. But maybe after then, we'll continue it on as well. But this morning, I want us to look at how this was outworked also in David's life. In King David's life. You know... David, in many ways, is like Joseph. David was young when he received the anointing of Samuel the prophet. He was the eighth son in the family. And he was the most despised in the family. He looked after his sheep in the wilderness. 
He slew a bear and a lion. He was the most able in his family, but he was looked down upon, despised. And when the prophet Samuel came to his house, they hadn't even brought him in because they didn't even consider him worthy to see the prophet. So he was out in the field when the prophet was asking, who was the anointed of the Lord? Who was going to be the next king of Israel? Samuel had been sent there to Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel. And David isn't even in the look-in. He's out in the field. Samuel goes through the seven sons and God speaks to Samuel. And he says, not this one, not that one. And every one, Samuel is saying to the Lord, it must be this one, Lord. Look at their appearance. Look at how great they look. Look at the physique. And his eyes are on the outer things. And God just brings correction to Samuel's perspective. And he says, you look at the outer. I look within. And he goes through the seven sons and none of them are chosen. And Samuel doesn't know what to do. It's at a stalemate. And then he says to Jesse, are there any more boys? Jesse says, there's one. Bring him here immediately. David comes into the room, the most despised, the most dejected. The kid that smells as sheep. He hasn't got any future as a soldier. He hasn't got any ability. And suddenly, the Lord says, he's the one. He's the boy. Samuel takes his vial of oil, pours it over his head. And it's symbolic that David now is king as a result of what Samuel's done. Samuel shoots out the door. David goes back to the sheep. Normal day. Normal day. But King Saul is still in power. Everything's going fine. And then the Philistines come. I'm just going to give you a, a little synopsis of David's life as we begin to look at this. The Philistines come and they are having a battle with the Israelites for 40 days. They're making a challenge. They send out a giant Goliath. You probably know the story. And they challenge the Israelites. Send one of your warriors. Let's fight. And whoever wins the battle, whatever warrior wins the battle on the field, we will concede that that nation is victorious. Goliath comes out, he taunts the armies of Israel for 40 days and 40 nights. And every time he taunts them, everybody runs. The whole Israelite army are panicking, they're in fear, they're gripped by crisis. Nobody knows what's, what to do. And then David comes with a little lunch for his brothers. Just an ordinary day. He turns up. And then he hears the roar of the Goliath, the giant, of Goliath, the giant. And he, he just blurts out, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? And suddenly he gets ridiculed by his brother. And David is, is just troubled by that. Word gets to Saul, and David now wants to take on the giant Goliath. Suddenly, his destiny is moving mysteriously and sovereignly. Evil, it seems, is triumphing. You see, evil is on the field. Evil is challenging the people of God. Evil has the people of God cornered. And it seems as if there's no way through and the opponent is far, far beyond what they can deal with. The opposition is far greater than their ability to respond to. And then God sends this little boy with seemingly no experience, with lunch in his hand, you see. See, sometimes we think that God has to have this big fanfare. That's never God's nature. God doesn't create a big advertising campaign. Never. You don't find it, my friends. God works in secret. 
He veils himself in the ordinary. He veils himself in the daily events of life, in the small duties that very often become despised by many. He veils himself, he hides himself, and he just watches. He watches for the one that will take hold of the small service, the small action. And he gets on the back of that, and he brings great victory. David, just wanting to help his brothers, doesn't look at a menial task of taking sandwiches and lunch to his brothers as beyond him. He does it with diligence. He does it with passion. Never look at a small duty. Never look at something that others was, would despise as unimportant. I'm telling you, the eyes of God are on it. The eyes of the Lord. Jesus said, if you're faithful in small things, you will be a master of much. It's the story of King David's life. Faithful with lunch, taking it to his brothers. He goes to the battlefield and suddenly another chapter is opening, opening before him as the sovereign hand of God has set everything up for this young kid. Young teenager. Doesn't even know it. He's walking backwards into his destiny. He's walking backwards into the plan and the purpose of God for his life. Suddenly, I mean, he doesn't even turn up with any stones. He hasn't come prepared to fight a giant. And yet his faith in his heart is ready for the challenge. His faith in heart is ready to respond to anybody that would defy the armies of the living God. Those who were dressed in battle, those who had all of the experience, friends, they were running for cover. And I'm telling you something now, the people with experience sometimes can be your greatest hindrance. Your greatest blessing can be inexperience, believe me. Believe me. I'm telling you now, I could tell you of many testimonies of being out of my depth completely and just going for it and jumping in headlong and finding out what happens and God comes up and he helps you in the middle of it. Experience, don't worry about it. It's good if you got it, but if you haven't got it, don't count yourself out. David turns up with lunch, no stones in his pocket. But he says, who is this on the field that is defying the armies of God? Suddenly Saul tries to put experience on him, his armor. David's, David can't, he can't work in it. He says, oh, no, no, I won't do that. I got my sling. You see how ridiculous it is sometimes? Ridiculous. Some of the answers that God brings to nations Ridiculous some of the answers that God will bring to your life. Ridiculous some of the options and the possibilities that God will bring to a church. But if you go with them, if you're faithful with them, it will lead to great, great things. It really will. So David goes, you know, just imagine it. I saw this this morning. He's, he got his sling, no stones. And there's a, a river or a, or a little stream on the field. Or maybe I can find some stones down there. And he runs down. But you see, he doesn't allow what he doesn't have to stop him. He doesn't allow what he doesn't have to limit him. No, you've defied God. You've defied the armies of God. I'm going to go. I'm going to take your head off by the, by the end of all of this. Goliath laughs. He rages at David. He comes with a, with a little slingshot. And David hasn't got anything in his pockets. He runs down to the little stream and scrabbles for some stones. Picks them up. He could have said, well, I, I haven't got my best stones. I, I, don't, I don't know if, there's, if, the, if the right stones are down there. No, just runs down. He's so angry with what this man is doing. How he's holding the, the people of God captive. He is so incensed that he has defied the armies of the living God. He hasn't even got a covenant with God. And he comes up against the people of God. How dare he? Picks a stone up. 
slings it. It sinks into the forehead of that giant. He goes to the floor. David takes his sword out and he cuts his head off. And the rest is history. The Philistines, the Philistines run. They flee. There's great rejoicing in the camp of Israel. Great, great victory has taken place. Now, another chapter of David's life unfolds. God uses evil and brings good out of it. But things are going to get complicated for him. Because he is moving, mysteriously moving, in God's sovereign plan for his life. He doesn't understand it. He's in, he's in Saul's palace for seven years now. And he's serving Saul. He's ministering to Saul. Saul has an evil spirit. And he's jealous. He's envious of this young guy, David. He's got a problem. With this young man, because the people are saying, Saul has slayed his thousands. But David, his tens, his tens of thousands. And before he knew it, Saul is trying to kill David. And he's running for his life. Now another period opens. Another chapter in David's life diary that he never imagined would open. Evil again now, it seems, is triumphing. Can you see how unpredictable life can be? Can you see what, what the testimony of the Bible is trying to show us through all of the events that people go through? Life is not a straight line. Sometimes it's a zigzag. Sometimes it's it's hard course. Sometimes it's confusing. It's a bumpy ride. But in the midst of it all, God says, I'm an ever-present help in times of trouble. I really am. And David now goes into eight years of exile. Eight years of being a fugitive of living the life of a nomad, of running to a cave, living in a wilderness, roaming around, being hunted down like an animal by King Saul. And again now it seems as if evil is prevailing. But God, you see, in his mercy, God in his purpose for David is preparing him. He's preparing him for everything that he's anointed him for. He's anointed him to be the king. But I'm sure when David is running around the wilderness living in a cave, he feels far, far away from that, those words that were spoken to him as a young man through the prophet Samuel. I'm sure he feels far, far away from the promises that had been spoken to him. Maybe by King Saul in the palace as he slew Goliath and as they gained victory over the Philistines. I'm sure he felt betrayed and abandoned and left alone. Dejected. But all of the abandonment, all of the hurt, all of the confusion was preparing him. Preparing him. Preparing him. Can I say to you, your confusion, your pain, your hurt, life events, they may have hit you hard. It's hit us all, all hard at times. But those life events have been tailor-made in order to prepare us to make us ready for everything that God has for us in our future. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close here. I'm going to continue this a week Sunday. But do you know, the Bible, the Bible shows us clearly 
It doesn't promise us, you know, this life of cotton wool. Never. It doesn't promise us this life that is free from trouble and trial. I think we all know that. But in all of the trials, in all of the troubles, in all of the confusing events, we go from one chapter to another chapter, from one event to another event, and in the process of it all, we're being prepared for where God wants us to go. Sometimes we want to stand in a life, live in a life, that we see others enjoying. Sometimes we get frustrated by our own lives, by our own experiences. We get frustrated by it because it seems as if we go from one issue to another issue to another issue to another issue and we're frustrated by life we're confused by life and we just wish we could get into a new life that we see or that we think others have we want to go into a new life with old attitudes we want to go into a new life with old old mentalities old ways of thinking we want to go into this new life, this new life that God has for us without changing, without growing. We want, to, we want to live the way that we've been living in the new life that God's promised. But in order for us to enter into the new life that God has for us, new attitudes have to be formed. New choices have to be made. New ideals. New hopes and dreams and aspirations all have to come about in our hearts in order for us to walk into the life that God has for us. Very often, it's like we're trying to put an old key in a new door. You put an old key in a new door and it's not going to fit. And everything beyond the door is never going to be accessed because you just keep pushing, keep pushing an old key into a new door. What you have to do is just get the right key, put it in the door, open it, and go into the life that's beyond the limitation. Very often, when we pick up the old key of unforgiveness and we put it in that door, the door's never going to open to us. The door of abundance, the door of joy, the life of joy, the life of abundance, the life of growth is always going to remain closed to us because we're trying the wrong key in the door. The key of unforgiveness is never going to open that abundant life, that life where we reign. The key of hurt and bitterness that we won't let go of. The key of fear that we could keep on pushing in that door to try and go beyond it in order to get freedom from is never ours because it's the wrong key. What I see when I look at these men, what I'm encouraged by, when I look at the scriptures and the testimonies that are there for our learning and our understanding is this. They never held on to those old keys those old hurts, those, those old issues that tried to hold on to them. They let them go and they took hold of the new keys that God had for them. Forgiveness, fruitfulness. And as each door came apparent to them, they put it in, forgiveness, and they walked on through. You study Joseph's life, you see it, it's all over there. You study David's life, it's all over his life. He was able to forgive quickly. He was able to adjust to the purpose of God for his life. He was able to be flexible with God's working and God's plan. David could have got bitter. David could have got confused. Hey God, 
I stood on that battlefield for you. I said, who is this that defies the armies of the living God? I'm not letting go of that. I'm not going to forget that. I'm confused with you. I'm angry with you. I stood for you, God, to set your people free. And I set them free. And look now, I'm living in a cave, hunted like an animal by a king that I loved, that I served. What's going on, God? I'll tell you what's going on, David. My sovereign purpose and plan for your life. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. So far are my thoughts from your thoughts. As far as the heavens is from the earth, David, my thoughts and my wisdom is higher, higher than yours. David held the key of faith, the key of trust when he couldn't trace God, the key of hope, when all hope was gone. The key of praise and thankfulness and worship when there was no music in his heart. And he wrote most of his psalms when he was on the run. He he wrote the greatest psalms and the greatest revelations that we have that encourage people the world over when he was in his darkest moment. Good came out of evil on many fronts in David's life through psalm and song as he portrays his life in so, in, in so many writings that he gives us and hymns and songs. Good triumphed over evil even in the darkest times in David's life because he refused, he refused to ever blame God. And what you find in the man's life is that he walked from place to place in his destiny. And we'll look at that in a few weeks' time. Father, I pray for your people this morning. I thank you, Lord. Many times we can't trace you, but there's a trust inside, within us, that's still alive. We thank you for the faith that we place in you simple childlike faith like a mustard seed Lord we thank you today we acknowledge that you are the sovereign over our lives we acknowledge that you work all things together after the counsel of your will that all things work together for good to those that love God who are called according to his purpose Lord today I pray that maybe we pick up another key. We'd release the key that we've been holding. The old keys of maybe unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, frustration, depression, fear. We just let them go. And we take hold of those new keys, forgiveness, comfort, kindness, joy. And suddenly the door, the life that remains off limits would become ground on which we stand. And blessing that we enjoy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Now while eyes are closed, you may be here today and maybe your first time or you've come a number of weeks and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Right now, I want to give you an opportunity, a quiet moment. Would you pray with me? Repeat this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. There's people all around this room praying for you right now. Pray this prayer. Jesus Christ wants to be your friend. He's not like this angry dictator that wants to rule you. I tell you now, he wants to be your friend faithful forever he wants to give you the peace that you so desperately need he wants to give you the joy that you've looked for in all of the wrong places we've all got a story about that friends but today you're here and you want to make this moment matter by asking Jesus into your heart pray this prayer with me right now quietly while eyes are closed would you say Jesus 
I ask you right now to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. I believe in my heart that you died for me on the cross. You rose from the dead to save me, to be my friend. I invite you, I invite you right now into my empty heart to fill it. Amen. Now, while eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you lift your hand for a moment? We'll, we'll see it. That's it. Excellent. Just lift your hand quickly. That's it. There's hands going up. Excellent. That's it. Great. That's it, matey. Just keep your hands lifted. We want to give you just a little Bible, a little Bible and some information. Isn't that wonderful? Do you know your life will never be the same? Never be the same. Never be the same. Over 25 years ago, maybe been a bit longer. No, actually, it was 31 years ago. I was in a tent in Bilthwells. And a man stood up and said, if you want to ask Jesus into your life, pray this prayer. I was crying. I was 15 years of age. Oh, Jesus, please come into my life. I mean, it was a pitiful prayer. Snot and tears. But it was real. It was real, friends. You just don't know what God can do with a pitiful prayer. You just don't know when a heart is open and just abandoned and honest and says, oh God, oh God, can't do this anymore on my own. Don't want to do it on my own. I just want forgiveness. I just want love and acceptance. That's what you've done this morning. Now just watch. Just watch, my friend. Just watch. You don't have to do any more than what you've done. Everything else will be taken care of by your brand new friend, Jesus. Amen.